Did you hear about the 1-800 service they have for atheists now? Oh no. You dial the number and it rings and rings but nobody answers. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the best female finance lady in the Bible? No? Nothing? Uh, Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little profit. <laughs> Aww. Whoa. That's a good one. <laughs> so what was yours again? It was, what do you call a sleepwalking nun? A Roman cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's get over to Second Kings eleven, and uh, let's see. We're almost halfway there through through Second Kings, <clears throat> but uh, at this point we have where. Uh, Jezebel has been killed and eaten by dogs, right? Uh, all of her sons, uh, elders, friends, anybody that would be loyal to them has been killed by, uh, what's his name? Jehu. And, uh, and so now we're at um, a point in the story of Judah. And it's very interesting because, unfortunately, Jezebel set a precedent. So if you look at you know, specific things in the Bible, like a, uh, Abraham is called uh, the father of um, uh, faith because he set a precedent for faith and what that looks like. Because not that he had necessarily more faith than others, but the precedent he set is he believed in God and then God accounted it to him as righteousness. So in Abraham, there was a covenant. He believed God. God uh, cut the covenant, and then in his accounting, Abraham's faith equaled righteousness. Now, Abel had righteous or had faith as well because he is mentioned in Hebrews 11. He sacrificed, right, to uh, the Lord that had to come from personal direct uh, knowledge for him to know to sacrifice the firstborn, etc., etc. Unfortunately, he was killed by his brother, and then out of Abraham came a family. You have David, who established a very unique precedent in being both king. He also performed priestly duties, and he was a prophet. And so he was a picture of Jesus Christ, uh, encapsulating all of those. The reason we can say that David was a precedent is because uh, Uzziah thought that he could go into the temple and do the work of the priest, and he got struck down with a skin disease or leprosy. And then he had to remain hidden uh, the entire time. So David, by faith, pulled in the future to his present. Uzziah did it out of pride. So you can go on and on. Joseph, uh, all of those that are mentioned in there. And so then you have the negative. So you've got Ahab and Jezebel that literally set a precedent of unrighteous rule. Also a cooperation with the demonic realm. And now, to this day, the phrase Jezebel or Jezebel spirit or whatever uh, is carried on. And a lot of people think, well, there's no such thing as, you know, Jezebel strongman. Uh, I'm not sure what I think Jezebel is. I think she's a, probably a group of demons. However, even Jesus carried the precedent on in uh, Revelation, I believe, chapter 2, to the church of Thyatira, saying, you allow that woman Jezebel. Now, whether her name was literal Jezebel or he labeled her that, it's just interesting that it's carried on past the Old Testament. So if you set any precedent, you want to make it a good one. <laughs> you don't want to be a byword. You know, you don't want to be your name is synonymous with, you know, stupid. And so here we have Jezebel's dead, but her characteristic shows up. In fact, let's just real quick... Look over in Revelation chapter 2 because I want to show you what we're about to see uh, in a literal person and why the Lord said this. Because one thing that's really important to understand is he is a lion and a lamb. He is not either or. 
And where people can get tripped up is they'll either think he's the lamb only and he becomes like a vending machine of goodness, or you've got those that think he's a lion only and then he becomes a harsh uh, ruler. So we've got to understand that he is both of those things. And so in verse um, 20 of Revelation chapter 2, it says, But I have this against you that you, uh, uh, let's see, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my ser servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now the first thing is, I've taught this many, many, many times. The word tolerate in the original language is ignore. And by ignoring, you're giving that person authority by default, okay? So when you don't deal with stuff, you're giving that thing authority uh, in your life or that person. The word woman can also be translated wife. Now, I'm not sure it's necessarily someone's wife, although that wouldn't surprise me. But if it isn't, it does show us that anyone that's operating under the influence of what we would call a Jezebel spirit more than likely seeks to marry itself to the authority or the leadership of that organization. So you can see it in even non-Christian organizations where people will be under the influence and uh, seeking that authority. Uh, and then also, let me just make this very plain, a strong woman does not mean she's a Jezebel. There's specific things here that she does. She labels herself in some type of office, normally prophetess, she likes to teach, and she will seduce others to practice, practice sexual immorality. So it's not just a one-time fling. She's teaching others to literally practice sexual immorality. I'm not sure what that looks like. Uh, is it by example? Does she have courses on how to, you know, I have no idea. And then to eat food sacrificed to idols. So there's definitely, as we know with the Jezebel and Bell worship, and a lot of the idolatry back in that day, and even today, but for sure back then, sexual immorality was tied to idolatry. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't separate. So, she's definitely teaching uh, people to uh, commit idolatry. Then, verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her <coughs> sexual immorality. Now, I find that interesting. He didn't say idolatry or anything like that. He said sexual immorality. So again, it has to be tied to that. But it also shows how, um, what's the word? Um, I don't know the word. Weighty sexual immorality is. Like it, Paul taught this, that all sin is outside of the body. The reason he's designating sin as outside the body is that we're the temple. So sexual immorality is the one sin that will bring things into the temple or the body. So everything else is outside. Sexual immorality is like bringing idols into the house of God like they did in the Old Testament. And it doesn't matter whether it's sex outside of marriage, whether it's sexual promiscuity, whether it's pornography, uh, homosexuality, lesbian, it doesn't matter. All sexual sin comes inside the person which is why you then begin to have an exchange of demonic uh, entities if you have any and your partner has any, et cetera, et cetera. It also has the longest generational curse. Oh. Ten generations okay. of sexual immorality. The other uh, ones are three and four. The uh, pastor calls it vile. Vile, okay. So sexual immorality is vile. So it's not okay to live with somebody and live like you're married and have sex. If you're a Christian, that needs to stop. And uh, so it's vile to the Lord. Now, uh, in verse 22, this is where I really want to focus. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Okay, so we see that Jezebel's uh, sin is going to throw her into a sick bed. It reminds me like the picture is like, you know, where you're throwing off an adulterous woman. You know, it's like you're just throwing her to the side. That's kind of what, you know, it, the picture I get is like she's literally falling into the bed, like, you know, Joseph running away from, 
Potiphar's wife. It says the Aramaic can be translated, I will throw her down into a coffin. Ew. That's pretty That's pretty serious. Ooh. So she's going to be handed over to the one that has power over death. Yeah. Uh, so those who commit adultery, they're going to have great tribulation, which means things are going to start falling apart. But this is where people can be like, oh my gosh, is that love? Verse 23, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches uh, mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now that's the lion. But why do those that commit adultery with her only get great tribulation, but her children have to be killed? Well, we're about to read. Because the thing with Jezebel, she will her influence will spread so fast. <clears throat> and the damage that can be done by this demonic set of beings is really tremendous. I mean, you hear of marriages being torn apart, churches being torn apart, small groups being torn apart, even our government. If you think about it, we've definitely got an Ahab who has dementia in office, but uh, I think uh, Clinton would be a, an epitome of a Jezebel spirit. So it seeks to open the door or gateways of uh, debauchery. So if you want to know why we went from leave it to beaver to Joe and Steve being married instead of Adam and Eve, if you want to know why that's happening, there is a Jezebel influence in the government in uh, the country. Okay? Now, here we have uh, in 2 Kings 11, 1 through 3. This is the mother of Ahaziah that's been killed. So now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Je Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom, thus they hid from Athaliah, so he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned in the land. Okay, this is stunning to me. So, Athaliah, who the heck is this person? <laughs> Let's just kind of bring it back to the people we know. She is uh, was the granddaughter of Omri. So remember, Omri was the one that started the Omride dynasty. And then she's also the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So somehow she escaped Jehu's uh, destruction temporarily. Well, they always just talked about the sons. Right. <clears throat> they probably didn't even think about the daughters uh, yet. Okay, so she's the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, the granddaughter of uh, Omri. She's married to Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. So, Jehoram is the fifth king of Judah. And it can get confusing because remember there's two Jehorams. One Jehoram over Israel, another Jehoram over uh, Judah. And not only that, sometimes they call him Joram or Jehoram, so you never know which J you're dealing with. But hopefully this makes it plain. Okay, the main idea here is that Athaliah was given in marriage to Jehoram as an alliance between the two kingdoms. Ahaziah was her son. She's first mentioned in 2 Kings 8, 25 and 26 in the context of being Ahaziah's counselor in doing wickedly. So if we think back to the Jezebel that's at the church of Thyatira, a Jezebel will teach people to do evil. So again, it's not a strong woman. <laughs> it is someone that is intentionally teaching others to do wickedly. So she was uh, a counselor to her son to basically sin. She next reappears at this point in the history of the two kingdoms as destroying her own family line in order to gain the throne. Uh, now this is amazing. So all of her descendants were devoted to Bel, and yet she still wipes them out. Okay, the notes in my archaeological Bible says, quote, her desire for power was so strong that she could endure no rivals. She, like her money, was power, mother was power hungry. Now, it's funny. We read, I went to Revelation <coughs> chapter 2 right off the bat. That's funny. Okay, 
So she's like her money, power, mo good grief, mother, power, hungry, okay? That's another sign of a Jezebel. They are not submitted to authority at all. They will want to take it over. So they will destroy and walk over whomever is in their way, including their own descendants, children, grandchildren. It doesn't matter. All right, so back to our text in Revelation chapter 2. The word child, why does he want to kill the, ch the children of Jezebel and her lovers? Uh, so the word child is to be understood in the traditional sense, but also in the New Testament. It's referred to as a pupil, disciple, the spiritual child of someone. We saw Paul refer to Timothy as his son, but we know they were not related by blood. There are children of God and children of the devil. In the Greek, this word is technon. It refers to one who is a child by birth. Jesus was never a technon. He was always a huios, or a mature son with the character of his parents. But here is uh, what I want you to see. Instead of the children being born again in the image of God, they were being born into the image of Jezebel. In other words, the children referred to in second or in Revelation chapter 2 were pupils, disciples, a spiritual child of Jezebel who learned her ways and had her character. And so for that reason, they had to be uh, eliminated. So now, now we go back to Thalia, who is a, a literal child of Jezebel, who definitely had her, her character, definitely uh, was living exactly like her. So we've got the spiritual principle of Jezebel's children being killed. What's ironic is Thalia is killing her own children. Because remember, we've taught Jesus did not come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, the fear of the Lord is centered in the fact that if he wants to, he can. And if he has to, he'll hand you over, right? So he said, even Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill your body. Fear the one that can not only kill you, but send your soul to hell. But what we have also discovered, the whole counsel of the word, is in Romans, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where you hand one over to Satan or to his jurisdiction so that the flesh will be eliminated, but maybe the person will go to heaven, giving us the clear picture that a person is handed over to the one who has the authority of death because death is God's enemy, okay? So in this situation, he didn't even have to do that. Their own mother and grandmother killed him off. So Athalia is actually doing a self-fulfilling judgment. Because remember, the word of the Lord was the entire family line of Ahab and Jezebel will be eliminated. And here we've got someone that's doing it herself, which is crazy. Okay, Joash, the only one to survive. Now, what I love about this story from the beginning is where he was hidden. In the presence of the Lord. So he was in the house of God, hidden in his presence for six years while his grandmother reigned. She was the only, by the way, female ruler in Israel. Okay, so let's look at verses 4 through 8. But in the seventh year, Jehodot, Je, ugh, good grief, why do they have to have such crazy names? <laughs> How would you even say that? Je, Jehoiada. Jehoiada? Jehoiada. 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 Yeah. You know what? Let's just come up with our own name. <laughs> Jehu. Let's just, yeah, let's call him Jehu. <laughs> okay, so in the seventh year, this dude sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord, and then he showed them the king's son. In other words, he's like, okay, what I'm about to show you, I need an oath. You've got to promise, probably, number one, don't kill him. Number two, protect him because we've got to get him on the throne. Because I'm sure having some crazy woman, you know, that probably needs medication on the throne was not fun. So, he's like, you know, here, here's the king's son. And he said, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath 
and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king, shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So basically, they need to take care of this uh, little guy. So if he was, what, six, well, how old was he actually when, does it say? I thought it. Mm -mm. It says in the seventh year. Yeah, but we don't know how old he was uh, when she hit him. So he's, he's definitely going to be young. I just don't know, like, is young nine years old? Is it 15 mm -hmm. years old? Um, but basically, their job is to protect them. So I'm like, who the heck are these Karaites, Karaites, whatever they are? They were a group from the, is it Negev? That were hired by David as mercenaries. And so they were often paired with the Pelethites, and their relationship with the Philistines is uncertain. So David hired these mercenaries, and here they are later protecting Josiah, his descendant, and his throne. So the Je Jehu guy, he's the father of ben uh, Beniah, who was in charge of the personal guard of David, the Karathites and the Pelethites. At this point, he seems to be a high priest who protected Joash and then hatched a plan to get him on the throne. He also gave him important guidance uh, and served him well. So I love this. David. David set up something that then later preserved his uh, family line. Uh, that's, that is a mark of a person, um, which is such a, a difference between David and Hezekiah, which we'll get to, but... David thought generationally. He went way, way, way into the future as far as preparation financially, the throne, different things. And I bet he even did stuff that he didn't know would follow later and preserve his line, right? So people that love Jesus, you can't just think about yourself in today because he will help you do things that will impact your children and your children's children and on and on and make their life even more successful and blessed and preserved. So I like that. And I think she was influenced because where all, where would be the, of course maybe that was it, maybe the least likely place that she would have hid a baby was at the temple. Yeah, she wouldn't even think to look. Yeah, I thought you wouldn't the, even think to look there. But we know that if you, you know, from Eli and, you know, Samuel and all that stuff, that little kids are just like sponges. They're mm -hmm. absorbing all this worship and, and you know, the teachings, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure the priest probably taught him mm -hmm. the things of the Lord and different stuff. Yeah, it's neat. So he's literally being a student of God, right. where his grandmother was a student of Jezebel or a child of Jezebel. Uh, okay, so in verse 9... Uh, the captains did according to all that Jehu the priest commanded, and they brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath, those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath, and came to uh, Jehu the priest. And the priest gave the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hands, hand from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar in the house on behalf of the king. They brought out the king's son and put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony, and they proclaimed him king, and anointed him, and they clapped their hands, and said, Long live the king. Now, the priest is really smart, because what he's doing, and he's, he's sparking patriotism that goes back to David. David, to this day, is revered, because he led the kingdom of Israel to such glory that for a long time, archaeologists and historians are like, no, it's a fable, it's just a story they tell, you know, it's just blah, blah, blah. No, he was real. He had um, unprecedented wealth and victory uh, as a kingdom. It was a world power. And so he's basically evoking in these mercenaries that would have had a heart for David that patriotism and loyalty to David, even though he's been dead for a long time. And so he hands over David's weapons to, th to them as well. Okay, now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the garden of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king, standing by the pillar according to the custom. 
And the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her, uh, tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out between the ranks and put her to death with the sword, or put to death with the sword any one who follows her. For the priest said, let, not, uh, her, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. So another, you know, here, but the principle is interesting. The way you dealt with Jezebel back in the Old Testament was to put her to death. In the New Testament, there's a spiritual death that will occur, but it could also go to physical if she refuses to repent, right? So we obviously don't want people going around shooting people that they think are Jezebels in churches. You know, but the idea is she has to be cut off. So if you're a leader and you know for a fact there's a Jezebel operating, not again a strong woman, but if you know for a fact there's a Jezebel operating along the criteria that we've shown today, then that means her activity will have to be cut off. So you either kick her out, you tell her stop it, whatever it is, and if she refuses, you have to cut her off from the rest of the group or you're going to end up having bigger problems than you got now. In the Passion, it says, uh, I have this against you in Revelation 2, that you are forgiving that woman. Mm. Not just that you're ignoring it, you're forgiving. But you're actually forgiving her even though there was no repentance. And I could totally see that because you see that a lot in churches. And then in Luke 17, 3, you know, it tells us you forgive if the person has repented. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, what do you mean I'm supposed to hold offense? No, offense and uh, forgiveness are two separate things. Forgiveness, once a person repents and they're forgiven, they're brought back into a fellowship, Right. So it's the idea that if you forgive someone, they're brought back into relationship. Offense is totally different. You can be offended all day, and that's just between you and and the Lord. So when you see this situation, I could see how they just kept forgiving her, kept letting her have a place, Mm -hmm. you know, of influence, blah, blah, blah. We saw that. I don't know how many times, huh? Mm -hmm. Um, It was ridiculous. That's where you get into unsanctified mercy, unsanctified compassion, and then also, uh, it's like, you have to understand, the Jezebel, if a person is operating under that, they're very manipulative and very convincing and persuasive. you got to have discernment. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really uh, interesting on the, the when the priest come and brought it out, he priced the crown, which it's illegal. It's a legal uh, mm-hmm. statement. That, mm-hmm. And then he gave him the copy of God's laws. So you had the legality, the... The, all the religious yeah. um, backing. Yep. And then you had um, the military was there. Yes. So, you know, it was like a three. Yep, which is not easily yeah. broken, is yeah. it? Three yeah. Cord. The military, because you got to have a military. There's no such thing as a king without a military. And then you've got the religious endorsement as well as the crown. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's really good. Uh, so her, you know, cries of treason are kind of ironic. Um mm-hmm. But that's interesting. So they kept forgiving her, which was basically giving her right. authority. I just thought that was yeah, that's interesting. one of the things. Okay. And Jehu made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and they tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces. They killed uh, Matin, the uh, priest of Bel, before the altars. And the priest uh, posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. He took the captains, the uh, Karites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the uh, gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. It's important to understand that, you know, one of the things that the Lord came to deliver us from was a fear of death. The opposite of fear is peace. People have got to understand that wicked rulers will promise peace. So if you look at the um, covenant, right, that the Antichrist makes, it was a treaty to have peace. People will do crazy things 
throw out discernment, and even sell their souls to have peace. When you look at, and, and that's, you know, and that it's a natural thing. We were not designed, physically we were not designed for uh, war and fear and all of those things. So it makes sense. But here's the deal. You've got where sometimes you have to have a Jehu. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to have someone that will come in and expose everything and begin to make changes. So you've got um, DeSantis. He's definitely a strong leader, but he's not a Jehu. Okay? He's borderline. He's strong. He'll handle his business. Trump was a Jehu. Trump gets in, and this is so important because we've got to figure this out or America is going to be in trouble. Well, she already is. But when you have someone that's dealing with a Jezebel, you can't be nice to Jezebel. You can't keep forgiving her. You can't keep giving her places and positions of influence, right? Put her in jail. Yeah. Like you said, you'd be in jail. You can't allow her to continue. A person that has a Jezebel needs deliverance. The problem is when you tell a person they're a Jezebel, typically they get really mad and they don't know that they're a Jezebel. Others do. They don't want to give it up. Okay. So you get President Trump in there. The Lord told me distinctly at 21st in Maine, that no politician would do. That he had to get somebody completely different in office. Why? Because he said if he didn't, Jezebel would silence the voice of the church forever in this country. So he said, I cannot have, that his exact phrase, I cannot have a politician as usual. Okay, fast forward. He says crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Megyn Kelly's on her period. That was implied. Who wants to look at the face of Carly Carly Fiorini or whatever? John McCain's not a war hero. If I go out and stand in the middle of whatever street and shoot someone, y'all will still love me. Blah, 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 (laughs) blah, right? And you're like, what are you doing? You know, even people that like to say stuff like that's like, oh my gosh, he just lost. And then he wins. So that should have been enough indicator for discerning Christians to understand something unusual is going on here. And we need to ask God, what are you doing? Right? Did we? Not really. Okay. So then, here's what happens when you have a Jehu in office or a Jehu in any position. They are natural exposers. It doesn't matter. They can just show up at the wrong time, (laughs) in the wrong place. Bam, everything's out in the open. They're also very good at looking into the future and knowing what to do. So you have President Trump. He's like a tornado. Everywhere he goes, he's causing problems, okay? And then even he was shocked at the vitriol the ancient hatred that was dis- that was exposed through the media. His exposure is continuing to this day, and he's not even in office. Has there been any change to the media? No. They are still attacking him from everything he says and twisting it, but there's some, like that black guy from Britain, that's like, we wouldn't be in this mess if Trump was in office. Left, left, left-leaning, okay? So, elections show up, they were stolen, but they still, they were able to get more votes. The the women, in particular, well, you know, he's rude. Uh, He's uncouth. He's orange. Whatever it was. We don't like his tweets. They need to take away his, you know, I still hear that. They need to take away his Twitter account, which Elon Musk will hopefully fix Mm -hmm. that. So, you have all all these people, they're they're tired of the Jehu. What do they want? Peace. So, who do they present as peace? Biden. Look at the peace they're getting, huh? So that's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit told me back in probably early 2000s, I was sitting on the couch. He said, if it wasn't for my Holy Spirit, most Christians would fall for the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And I think it's evident very clearly. Because what it, and guys, hear what I'm saying. Am I political? Absolutely. Absolutely I am. If you are a Democrat, 
and you vote for a Democrat that believes in abortion, you need to repent. That, that's, my, that's my red line. Anybody, Republican, Democrat, that votes for abortion, they need to repent. But aside from that, what is the one thing that is said before sudden destruction? Peace and safety. Peace and safety. So we know the Antichrist is going to bring what? Peace and safety. For a while. So Christians who are people of peace, Americans who are very reluctant for war, you better toughen up. Because if you don't figure out now that what we thought would bring peace has now brought nothing but destruction to the point where you have, he ain't crazy. Putin's not crazy. Putin's Russian. He thinks Russian. Where they put children, right? He purposely bombs the theater because there's children. And everybody's like, what is he doing? Did y'all know what was written on the bomb the other day at the train? For the children. He is a psychopath. So here we have a president that sounded good, kind of, that I'm gonna bring peace, we're gonna, you know, blah, blah, we're gonna end the virus. You know, everybody wants to go back to normal. There will be no normal until the return of the Lord. So Christians just need to get that out of their head. So we have this situation, he gets in, the first thing Putin does is he starts making moves for Ukraine. Right? So there's your peace. That's where all the money's come from. So if you want to figure out what God's doing, it's probably the opposite of what you really want. So if President Trump gets back in in 2024, we better have our act together and realize what's happening and toughen up. Like, I don't remember, it might have been um, the Ecclesia training or something. I think Dorina was there, but I said, we've got to intentionally make ourselves uncomfortable, intentionally mess things up, intentionally get out of the groove because you want to know what's going to be very uncomfortable? War. And President Washington had a vision of three woes. We've had two of them. So are we going to just sit back and say that our country needs to be almost demolished to finally get it? Or are we going to be the people that are going to recognize when we need a Jehu and when we need a David or when we need a Solomon, right? So it's fascinating that Christians are so lacking and yet they want peace. But like Paul said, you'll follow someone that beats you. And I think we are in a secular time cycle, if I didn't say it right. How many years since Jehu came in, what we're talking about here, came in and killed all the, the people that was following and the prophets? I have no idea. I'm not sure either, but well, we found out later it said Joash was seven years old. Oh, okay. It's the very last there. So if uh, it was six years... So he was one when so he, he went to the temple. Yeah. And I don't know how many years before that that Jehu had done this uh, with uh, killing the, you know, line of Ahab, mm-hmm. clean, cleaning out the the, ba- the Baal worship. But it's not been that long, right? And then we see here that they've reestablished themselves. So we here we go. We're right into the same. Thing. Mm-hmm. We've got this Matan and we've got the people that was Baal, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what's interesting, just like Jehu, and if we want to say it's like Trump, because he has been, you know, he's wild and reckless and, you know, went in there. You've, I've heard that prophetic equation, let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. And he came in and started doing and dismantling, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, then I see here. It takes the people. The people, the next go around, the people come in. Yes. The people tear down the altars. The people start, they kill the priest yeah. of Baal. So does that tell us, if Trump was like Jehu, that it's going to be up to the people Absolutely. to come and tear down the strongholds? I'll Absolutely. just put it that way. Yeah. So I think we need to be, not say it's going to be a political figure. It's going to be... Um, it's going to be the people. And so I think that's really important. And I think it, when we're talking about the lion, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's all tied into the same thing, that it's going to be up. People better get a lion backbone and a lion's roar and quit sitting down and just watching what's going on. And it's going to be up to them 
through, uh, you know, it could it's be. It's actually going to be up to us. Right. Because the nation will go as the church goes. Right. If you only have 40% of the exactly. Christian population that votes, that's a, there's a lot of it's us horrifying. in this country. Yeah. yeah. But it's up to us, whether it's in prayer, pulling down the strongholds. I mean, it, it's you know, voting. Yeah. People have got to vote and they have got to wake up and understand when you when you see people, you have to ask the Lord, what are you doing here? Who is your person? Mm-hmm. So like when we look back at Romney and Obama, so when Romney ran, uh, I was praying and, and I was like, Lord, something doesn't set right. What are you saying here? Who's going to be president? And because this would have been the second term. And the Lord said, Obama will be a second term president because Romney is worse mm-hmm. than what he will that. do. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay. So you ask questions. Right. I mean, don't just go to the polls. Like, even straight-line Republican or straight-line Democrat, it doesn't matter. What is God saying? But to me, the only thing that matters is the abortion aspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm serious. I, I've probably made a lot of people mad, but I don't care. If you voted uh, not for uh, Trump and you voted for some crazy, like, third independent party ticket, you voted for Biden and you voted for abortion. And... Some or Colorado. I talked to my friend Cindy Wednesday, and she's really upset because they—I don't know if they passed the law or if it was executive order—but their governor there legalized where a baby can be born, and you just leave the baby to die. And and so then you've got people that are on TV saying that you know people are going to die because of this you know Florida bill. This and you can't say gay bill, which is nowhere in there. But they're they're going to die. People are going to die. That was Buttigieg. He said that, right? No, no one's going to die. But while you're focused there, mm-hmm. you got babies suffocating over in Colorado. So that's where I have to really just calm down. Because that's when, if you're not careful, the lion part that is without mercy can mm-hmm. take over when actually mercy is still the top word right now, right? Because it's like, well, now I understand why there's a hell. Because you got people like this mad over some bill that protects children from uh, pedophiles and perverts, and yet babies can suffocate. But I think it, we don't have to go and tear the enemy apart, but we can roar. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. <laughs> we know, can roar at we the polls and poll watchers and all that stuff. I'm excited with my 5 a.m. routine. I now have more time, so I'll be <laughs> tackling that soon. But anyway, so this this right here, and it may be a prophetic picture of what is mm-hmm. to come. Oh, and then another, someone asked me, they said, is it true that Trump said he's not going to run because of his health? Oh, it was Richard last night. I said, that's not what he said. He was asked... In 2024, you know, if his health had gone downhill, if he'd run, he said, well, no, if my health isn't good, I, I won't run. Uh, but if I feel fit and strong, then I will. Oh. But the headline the headline yeah. was, he's not going to run due to poor health. So now people think he has poor health and he's not running, and that's nothing what he said. Clickbait. Clickbait. You cannot, mm-hmm. you have to read the articles, you have to go deeper, because they'll do clickbait. But it's not going to be up, it's going to be up to the people to the final, the line stops here. Mm-hmm. We have for too long put all the um, responsibilities of how the U.S. has gone onto the politicians. We have, just like in churches, onto the bull. pastors. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's bull. It comes down to the, we the people. And uh, so I think that's what it, it's going to, at the last here, because Jehu did. He went and did it. Yep. Now we see here the people. We the people. Mm-hmm. They get in there and they're the ones that have made the stand. The Lord told me years ago that He was going to restore we the people to the church, which if we the people is restored to the church, then we the people will be restored to mm-hmm. America. And it's going to take both. It's going to take Christians getting out of this passive mindset and it's going to take pastors not being um, controlling and getting out of a system that's actually caused these problems. Uh, so the removal of the wicked leader actually sparked a revival in the people. And then the city was quiet. The word quiet means undisturbed. A condition of tranquility, safety, and security. Peace had returned to the land because a man of presence took the throne. Okay? So it also shows the role of a minister uh, influencing in the marketplace. Okay, so now we got uh, Jehoash, I guess is how you say his name. And uh, so this is 1121. 
Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. Oh, that's funny. It's an alternate spelling of Joash. Why do they do that? Why do they do that to us? I do not understand. Why are you putting that in there? Okay, so we're on the same king, Joash. I think it's Mike and Michael, Kathy and Kathy. But why in the chapter? You know what I mean? Why in the chapter? Okay, in the seventh year of Jehu, Joash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. His mother's name was Zabiah of Beersheba. And uh, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because the priests instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings uh, on the high places. So it does appear he was an infant. He's seven years old when he gets on the throne. He reigns for 40. But the priest is the one that influenced him the most, which I love. So again, it's the picture of the believer in the marketplace, which includes government and business, influencing world influencers. And the fact that he didn't tear down the high places, basically, that could also be an influence from the priest. If it wasn't a big deal for them, it's not going to be a big deal a big for him. A big deal for him, yeah. Now, the word instructed, the, the priest instructed Joash, uh, it means to shoot like arrows and to throw like overthrowing people. It has the idea of teach, but it's active teaching that pierced his understanding and heart, resulting in action in line with what he was taught that transformed society. That is the teaching we need in this country. We need it for Christians. We need it for citizens where it pierces like an arrow and it causes action because we're very complacent. And remember, Syria and Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the reasons they were judged was because of complacency. Okay, verse uh, 4. So Joash said to the priests, All the money of the holy things is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord. Let the priests take each uh, from his donor... And let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priests had made no repairs to the house. Therefore, the king summoned uh, Jehu the priest and the other priests and said, Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed they should take uh, no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. What the heck? Um... And so here's what I, I think they were basically taking the money and lying in their own pockets mm -hmm. is what I think they were doing, which there are IRS laws against that. I don't know where the IRS was in this story, but <laughs> they should have been on their game. All right, verse 9. So then Jehu the priest took a chest and bored, uh, bored a hole in the lid of it and set it aside, uh, beside the altar on the right side when it entered the house of the Lord. And the priest... Uh, guard, who guarded the threshold, put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And when they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came and they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed into the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked uh, on the house of the Lord and to the masons and the stonecutters as well to buy timber and Quarried stone for making repairs on the house and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. I love how they keep repeating themselves. It's my favorite thing to read. But there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, uh, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or of silver for the money that was brought from the money that was brought to the house of the Lord. For that it was uh, for that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house, and they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hands. They delivered the money to pay out the workmen, for they dealt honestly. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. Um, so that doesn't make any sense, does it? Let me go back up here to verse 7. Therefore King Joash summoned the priests and other priests and said, Why are you not repairing the house? Don't take any more money from your donors, but hand it over for repair. So the priests agreed they shouldn't take any more money. Oh, wait, no, it says that, and that they should not repair the house. What is happening here? I think they had a special building fund. And they just never were using their building fund. Because it says right there that the guilt offerings and the sin offering was used for the priest. 
But I think they were just, it sounds to me like they had more than, because the little, the little hole. Well, then they had to they make a chest and, and then stuff. drop money in uh-huh. there, and they took that money to pay. So it sounds like they spent they the had, money. They had already been intermingling huh. the money. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> the people that were giving to the building fund. I can't say what I'm it thinking. It was used for everything. It's for their for building fund. Stuff, yeah. And so they had to come up with money again. That's what I think. Yeah, I know a church that did that down in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, got corruption here. They got to figure out how to do it. They get it figured out. But here we, now here, judgment may be delayed, but it will eventually come, right? So here we've got some judgment that's starting to show up in Judah because Judah married into the line. We've got some idolatry going on there, even with Joash in office. At that time, Hazel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath, and he took it. But when he set his face to go up to, against Jerusalem, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah's fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated and his own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and set it, sent it to the king of Israel. So Hazael Hazael went away from Jerusalem. So basically at this point, just so you know, this king over Syria controlled almost all of Israel. So the northern kingdom of Israel is under his power. They're now, um, what do you call it, tributary kings or tribute kings. They have to give in order to stay as a nation, and now he wanted Judah, but Joash pays him off. Uh, he's the one that was a usurper that took the throne, and he had really no claim to it in um, Syria. Okay, so now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck him down in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Silla. It was Jazakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehoshaphat, uh, the son of Shomer, his servants, who struck him down so they died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, what? So I'm like, whoa, hold up. So you got this good king that's brought peace. He's, um, you know, building the temple again, repairing it, you know, bringing things into order, and he gets killed. So obviously, there's between his work there and his assassination, something's occurred. So we're going to go over to Second Chronicles to get the backstory to figure out what is actually going on. It's really sad, actually. Um, so Second Chronicles twenty-four verses seventeen through nineteen. Okay, so after the death of Jehu the priest, okay. The princes of Judah came and paid, is it homage, homage, homage? Is it homage? I've always said homage. Homage? To the king. Then the king listened to them and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And the wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord these testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Okay, so this is a pattern we see. Throughout their history, once the righteous voice is gone, the people backslide. You should, your walk with God should never depend on the leader. Ever. It's your personal responsibility. Whether you go to heaven or hell is on you. So here we have these influencers that come, they pay him, you know, uh, attention and respect, and he starts listening to them and begins to serve idols. So it's not enough to ride on the coattails of others. You have to have your own relationship. So, uh, and and this will sustain you when those that you re- rely on fail or they die or they move or whatever. So they flattered him is basically what they did. And then they counseled him to serve other idols. For that... Hazahel, or whatever his name is, king of Syria, that is because of this. Because anytime you start worshiping other idols, your protection is lifted. So that's why there was that little scuffle with the king of Syria. 
Okay, so then verse 20, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of uh, the priest Jehu, uh, Jehu uh, and stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? I mean, it's common sense. Because you've forsaken the Lord, He's forsaken you. But they conspired against Him, and by command of the king, they stoned Him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness that uh, Jehu, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but he killed his son. And when he was uh, dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Okay? So, Joash killed his former uh, mentor's son. Uh, therefore, he died. And it reminds me of Luke 10, 49-51, where it says, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged on this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So this right here is the reference Jesus was referencing. And not only, they didn't even show him the same respect they showed Athaliah. They didn't kill her in the temple, but you have a prophet that's in the temple, and they kill him there. So it's just really unjust. And so when uh, Zechariah was dying, he said, May the Lord see and require. And Jesus once again is saying, The Lord still sees, and the Lord will still require. Because if judgment was bad in the Old Testament, imagine what it's going to be when he returns. Because we have been given grace, and to whom much is given, much is required. So they think they had it bad then? Just wait until the Son of Man returns uh, to execute judgment. Well, and I think um, we're seeing a lot of prophets being... You're hearing a lot more prof prophetic words. I'll put it that way. And, you know, in um, so the Second Chronicles uh, 19, it said the, the Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him. The prophets warned them, but the people would not listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's the whole purpose of having all those... Prof the, the prophets and the the prophetic words yeah. is to warn people or, you know, well, not just to warn people, but that is it's a, a big major component. component. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so when somebody says something, rather than just discard it out of hand, mm -hmm. I think it's really wise to take and think about it. Yeah. Ask God, either verify it or dismiss it, what mm -hmm. they're saying. Absolutely. It, you know, we can't just say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I've noticed you know. some people, they'll collect profits like they do coins. Mm -hmm. I mean, only if you like this prophet and what they say, and there's an unwillingness to listen yeah. to anything else. So, yeah, we got to be careful. Um, okay, now, the word generation, where it says it will be required of this generation, um, the, that word is kinship, ancestry, those exhibiting common characteristics or interests. So what he's saying? Those of the same heart and nature of the enemy or the enemy excuse me, the enemy's seed will pay for the blood of all the prophets. Abel was the first prophet uh, all the way to Zechariah here in Chronicles. So, uh, here's what's important to note. It wasn't the world that killed the prophets. It was their own people that were supposed to be believers in Jesus that killed the prophets, just like it was the religious people who uh, arranged for Jesus to be crucified. So, let's finish up with um, verses 23 through 27. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, as they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehu the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabab, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonite, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrath, the Moabite. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. They weren't even Jewish. Accounts of his sons and the many oracles against him of the rebuilding of the house are written in the story of the book of Kings. And Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Why did he go bad? Well, he was of the line 
of Jezebel and Ahab. Which is why the children must be killed. Now, obviously, in the New Testament, we're speaking figuratively, or the Lord can handle his business. But in this situation, this is exactly why. And it's sad. To me, this is like the greatest betrayal is the man that mentored you, that kept you safe, mm -hmm. that had all those mercenaries around you, and you kill his kid. So, but I think on that that's note, what Gary was talking about. That some of that stuff can be passed generationally down. Well, I think and, uh, I think for sure because if you look at modern DNA technology, I mean. They know emotions can be passed down a family line. So if a family line has a long line of anger, it's usually in the DNA. Uh, fear can be in the DNA. So, I mean, think about it. If you're casting out demons of, like, fear or anger, it might be a good idea to also ask Holy Spirit to heal the DNA. Because if there's anybody that can shift or change DNA, it's him. And uh, also, I think it's soul work. I mean, they even have experiments they've done where they know there are specific things that can turn on or turn off a gene. Yep. You know, and so I think that'd be something that Christians would need to ex explore. But the fact is, is when you decree healing and you release it, God does all of that. But I think with deliverance, it might be a good idea to address any of the uh, DNA issues there and maybe release healing or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Break that off whether yeah. you know it or not, right? So, it, anyway, it's just, it's like kind of a sad story to end on. But I do think, again, it shows a pattern and it shows why the Lord will be very ruthless. He's, he's very ruthless in certain things. And one of them is, even today, with the Jezebel spirit, if she starts producing children, mm -hmm. then he's going to start getting them out of the way because it can spread like wildfire. Well, that, and I think um, it also shows the importance, and we see it in Proverbs, it talks about a lot, mm -hmm. of who you're listening to mm -hmm. and who you're hanging around and who, you know, your advisors and, yeah. you know, because if they're fools, you'll turn into one. Yep. And this is basically the personification of that. Yeah, that and it makes you wonder too, like, I mean, you could even go down into, you know, here he was raised by a, a father figure, um, but it probably didn't feel good that his grandmother wanted to kill him, you know? It probably, he was raised in all kinds of turmoil, etc. So even though he was in the presence of the Lord, there's no telling what was going on in his thinking to where some people from Judah can come flatter him and then counsel him right. to turn from the Lord. Like there had to be a hook mm -hmm. in his soul or they wouldn't have been able to do it. Well, he had to have a wounded soul. Mm -hmm. Good grief. Everybody in your line except you is dead and your mother... Is trying to kill you. <laughs> trying to kill you. I mean... Yeah, it was drama, and you know your grandmother's like the the personification of evil and everything that everybody hates, and yeah. you, you know it. You carry around their guilt as well as anything you've got yourself. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, you know he had to have emotional problems. I bet. Yeah. All right. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word, and even though it's kind of a depressing story. Um, we celebrate the fact that the Old Testament not only is a prophetic picture of the work of Jesus Christ, but it's also an example for us. To uh, And that's the whole reason we started this series. It seems like it's gone on for five years. is because we wanted to learn what they did that was good and what they did that was uh, dangerous and wrong that led to the, the demise and the failing of themselves and even their own country. And so, Father, we want to take those principles, we want to learn those things, and apply them to our lives both personally, professionally, um, in uh, ministry even, to make sure that we do not make uh, those same mistakes. And so, Father, uh, we ask that, you know, again, anything in our soul that puts us in danger, we ask that you expose it. We ask that you bring it to light. We give you permission to keep peeling the layers back, having those, you know, measures of, Victory is phenomenal, but we want to go even deeper. In fact, I could confidently say that I believe everyone in this room wants to be as close in soul, thinking, mind, will, and emotions, even physically, to Jesus Christ as possible before we leave this earth or He returns. We want to know Him. We want to experience, uh, like I have for my, my journal and the app, we want to experience the wonders 
or know the wonders of Jesus and experience complete oneness in identity. So, Father, we know that you are always good, but we also know that you will judge when necessary. So we want to be in alignment in all of that. We don't ever want to fight you or resist you when there is a decree of judgment from your uh, throne room, but we also don't want to be spouting off judgments when that's not what you're doing at that time. And we also know our responsibility is to give people an encounter with the good God. So, Father, we ask that you help us to not have unsanctified compassion and mercy where we forgive what should not be forgiven, while at the same time remaining a heart, maintaining a heart that is free from offense. So, Father, we ask that you do these things in our hearts, in our souls. And, uh, Father, this morning we want to give you our tithes and offerings. We ask that Jesus receive them there. It is our mark of pledge to you. Uh, we take what you have given us and the abilities, because it says you give us the skill, the ability, the empowerment, all the resources needed to gain wealth so that your covenant is confirmed in the earth. And so, Father, we want to be covenant confirmers. And we take a part of what you've given us. We give it to you this morning with a cheerful heart, no obligation or guilt. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.